I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack. This is actually our 91st episode. I think we need to really celebrate our centennial episode at some place, somehow, some way. We'll do that. We'll do a really big outdoor celebration. I'm thinking either the Forum or Staples Center, but I'd be okay with the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Maybe Giant Stadium, Met yeah, Stadium, you know, Dodger Stadium. Um, MSG or, kind of... Small for what we're yeah imagining. MSG like in the back of a Chinese restaurant with monosodium glutamate <laughs> wonton soup uh, <laughs> Chinese salad or Madison Square Garden either one works. Um, I'm thinking more of a petite little intimate cafe. Maybe we could do something at night like that. Anyway, as our 91st episode, I am your host Bua B U A Justin Bua. Just call me Bua because eventually and invariably you will say Jason Bua. <laughs> it just happened the other day with my wife's friend. She came over. Uh, he came over and was like, oh, I love his work. And then she text, he texted her later and said, can you tell me Jason's Instagram handle? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that was weird. Anyway, uh, and Lizzie Daston, art history professor, PhD in the works, uh, brilliant-minded. Today we are talking about a French artist Louise Bourgeois from Paris. From Paris or from France? From France. From France. Let's just say that. <laughs> from France. Um, you know, sometimes people get recognized later. Rodney Dangerfield didn't get recognized in his youth as a, as a comedian. Uh, and I think, you know, some people just get noticed later. Uh, I think she is one of them. She was traveling in the right circles of people, but really, she wasn't on anybody's radar. And quite honestly, she wasn't on my radar at all until Lizzie said, hey, let's do an episode of Louise Bourgeois. And I said, who's that? <laughs> and then she was like, oh, she's really great and important and blah, blah, blah. And then that was when I researched her because I didn't know anything about her. So what do you think about her? Um, I'm not really a fan. I can't say that anything in there is innovative or, or fascinating or... What was more interesting was her, but she seems so... You know, I watched... Okay, so like my only knowledge of her, I haven't been to any... She's at the MoMA, right? She has oh, her own... Oh, yeah. She's yeah. one of the only oh. women to oh, have a, yeah. a retrospective oh. at the MoMA. She is oh. wildly important. <laughs> yeah, I totally think she's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> completely irrelevant. So I think that her personality... She seemed really cute and funny and charming, you know, as a person, but... And it's so personal, her artistic expression and experience, that when it gets that personal, like this is about my mother and I can't let go. I still have regret about my mother and the mother. And she takes her sculptures and she keeps throwing it down. Do you see that video where she takes her statues and sculptures and she throws it on the ground and she steps on it and she throws it out on the ground. She steps on it. She kept doing that. And it's so weird because she's on camera. So why would you do that? I understand. It's a performance of dismantling power. Oh my God! Here we go. With the, here we go also with the, the men, fact that you said our, she was as cute. Our, as our writer wrote in about you, the mental gymnastics. Here we go again. This is what I think. So whatever okay, it is, look. but you just be careful to say cute about a 
woman's personality because that really because she's an eighty something year old lady and I can't say cute. Are you? Are you? She was ninety eight. Well, there you go. How cute. (laughs) That's even cuter. (laughs) Cuter to be ninety eight. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying cute when you have a tiny old woman smashing things on the ground in what seems to be orchestrated pre-performed fits of rage. It seems like an act. Now, that being said, I don't look at her work and say, I hate it. I just look at it and I go, I don't think that that's that important. That's all. But you could tell all of our viewers why she's important and how relevant she is and why she's one of the few women in the history of the world at the moment. Well, I can just say why she's so important to me. I think she represents a really interesting change within self described feminist art from the 70s to the 80s, which is really when she makes work that people start to recognize. Because in the 70s and the late 60s, when women like Judy Chicago and Mary Beth Edelston and Anna Mendieta are making work, it is so essentialized about a female body. It's very goddess-centric, and there's a lot of vaginal imagery. Judy Chicago did this one work called Red Flag in which she pulls out a bloody tampon from her vagina. And so it's really kind of aggressive imagery, all related to the female form. And I think that work was necessary to produce because we didn't have a language of feminism at that point. And so we need something shocking. And for me, bourgeois represents the pendulum kind of normalizing a little bit. And her work is a lot more stylized. It's less about her own personal body, but more about gender and the binary logic of that and of biology. She bigenders a lot of her work. So parts of it could look like a penis or testicles or breasts. And so there are different ways of looking at the work. So it isn't just the female experience. It feels to me more like a human experience as seen from a female lens. And so I think that's important. Also, her work is really theoretical. And there are these French feminist thinkers who informed a lot of art. And one is this woman, Julie Kristeva, who talks about the abject. And so something kind of gross, that art isn't just aesthetically pleasing, but it's something that's masticated, that's thrown on the floor, that's debased, that's diminished. And I think Bourgeois, she reflects that in her work in an exciting and dynamic way. Yeah, she became famous for, I mean, I guess her most famous work is The Spider, right? She talks about The Spider. And I love spiders, by the way. Uh, It feels very cartoony and very almost fantastical, like it's coming out of uh, an early 1970s Sinbad claymation movie, and she has those those spider statues everywhere. They're bronze and they're all kinds of materials. And they're huge. They're huge. And she calls it maman, mother. Right. So I think that's really interesting because a spider is universal. It's also mythic. And to me, one of the central themes of Bourgeois' work is tapping into the talismanic, the mythic. And spiders with arachnid, they've been around in storytelling as a storytelling technique for ages. But also spiders, they weave. And weaving and that kind of process of working with string, that feels like a very feminized practice. And then the fact that she calls it maman makes sense to me. 
Yeah, she had a. She comes from a very wealthy family in Paris, uh, in France, and she, uh, where they made clothes, and they, and she eventually, when she had her, her, uh, flat on Chelsea, she had you know full time people that were working there, much like Warhol did with his factory. She had her own factory, but she had a woman who was doing uh, sewing for her for her more embroidered work or her her work where she was using fabrics right to interact with her her statues or her sculptures or her figurines. And so I like the relation of how she took that and kind of created what became a factory, what her parents had, right? Just for pragmatic purposes into an artistic warehouse for artistic purposes. But when I look at her work, Lizzie, to be honest, I don't... Okay, let's just just dissect it a little bit here. Let's analyze her work because... A, of all, she's not a good draftsman. She's not a good painter, and that's not what she did. She was a mathematician. She studied math at the Sorbonne, and then she eventually got into drawing and painting, and it was a man's world, let's be honest. It was not, you know, women were discriminated against, and it was a male-centric, misogynistic society, especially the art space, and so how could you really be... You know, having a Mary Cassatt out there is very rare. You, there, there's not a lot of Mary Cassatts out there, you know, not a lot of women who are allowed into the into the sacred, misogynistic circle of men. It's just that's a fact. And so I think that she was definitely probably always an artist within herself, even though she studied math. And then later that came out. Um, and to me, I am not a fan of somebody who's always uh, kvetching about their childhood experiences. Uh, apparently her father was a philanderer, and that's what she struggled with her whole life. But look, you know, a lot of people deal with tons of stuff that's way more traumatic and disturbing and upsetting than that. And I'm not saying that there's a degree of disturbance where you could say, okay, well, if you're, if you're, if your parents beat you, that qualifies you to be an artist or to make art. Like that justifies making art. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying her personal experience about not letting go with her mom and her philandering dad feels like, uh, it feels trite to me. It feels small. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm going to base an entire career on that. But look, hey, I can't I can't tell you what's in her brain. She seemed like she was from what I was uh, experiencing, she seemed like um that was all really legitimate angst that was inside of her. That's what, and that's how she feels. She felt like a you know, the quintessential artist. She was in anxious she was upset she was always like i said i saw three videos on her and every video she's smashing something and until now none of the art historians who led me through her career were as articulate and as illuminating as you have been with her work none of them thank you none of them not even close like all of them i was like really really come on really but whatever you made was a much more uh, provocative and interesting analysis of her work. But when I look at her work, okay, we don't have any, there's not a draftsmanship there, there's not painting there, there's not a, there's not a, a technical understanding of sculpture or that world. There's definitely an emotional uh, resonance of her own personal experience and the struggle, uh, perhaps, of women. But I see her, I see once again her own specific personal struggle. And because of that, I look at the work and I go like, okay, well, that's just not something that's 
appealing to me. When I look at the struggle of Katie Colwitz, it feels much more universal. I see the emotional angst of mother and child. I can relate to that because it's a universal theme, right? The mother and the child, the child dying, Hans dying in the war, uh, her, 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 her really anti-Nazi socialistic mindset of getting that work out there, her personal uh, triumph as a woman being just and 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 her incredible technical virtuosity. You look at an artist like Katie Kowitz, I feel like she is so important, probably to me and in, in personally, one of the top ten greatest artists of all time. That's my personal thing. And what she did with woodcut, what she did with etching, what she did with with paint, what she did with drawing, lithography, et cetera, and so on. I admire uh, Louise Bourgeois. I admire her. I thought she was hilarious when I looked at her, you know, on camera. You could tell, like, if you sat down with her, you'd be like, oh, I love this lady. You know what I mean? She's one of those ladies you, I bet you that you love, you love just because she is just so charming. She feels so charming with her French accent and, and she's tiny and she's just. She's playful. She she's has playful, a lot of sexual yeah. humor. Absolutely. I just don't look at her work. And I, and, and, and I took the tour, the virtual tour through the, the Museum of Modern Art. And I just looked at it and I go like her architectural stuff and her drawing and her painting and a, it's just not for me. I just can't relate to it. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's important, personally. Yeah, and that's see, I, so personal. Of course. Well, art is. Of course. I so that. I, but I have, to, I have to say that so that people out there are not like, I can't believe Boo is hating on this amazingly charming old woman who's dead. And then he's saying all this stuff. How dare him? That's ridiculous. No, that's my opinion. I don't think that she's important. There's millions of artists. There's... X amount of artists in the canon of art history. I just don't think that she belongs belongs in there. Sure. Well, as we're talking about her in this episode, I will try to explain why I think she is important. Okay. And you're right that it is very personal, and maybe not everybody can relate to the trauma of having a philandering father, or maybe that doesn't seem quite as traumatic as somebody else's. But as you mentioned, we shouldn't really evaluate trauma because what was deeply upsetting and core shaking for her might not have been for you or for me, but that's not really our place to analyze. But for me, what's so exciting is that women at this time, as you note, didn't really have a platform for self-expression, whether it be creatively in an artistic world or emotionally or psychologically, and women were very disempowered. And the fact that now bourgeois has an opportunity to see art as a vehicle through which she can process her trauma is pretty exciting. And I do actually think that her themes are universal. And just this concept of seeing your parents and your own relational dynamic with them as a theoretical construct, Freud did that. And he would often talk about the Oedipal complex and the destruction of the father. And Bourgeois actually did this huge installation, an immersive one in 74, called The Destruction of the Father. So she was very steeped in theory. And we don't often think about women interpreting these themes and projecting them through their own lens and their own experience with their parents. So to me, that is really universal. And I don't see my father that way, and I don't see my mother that way, but I can relate to the observational inquiry that Bourgeois lends to her sculptures. And yeah, her draftsmanship isn't, it doesn't have the technical virtuosity as a Colvitz, but not everybody has to in no, order to make something that's meaningful. And there was an early work that Bourgeois did called Femme Maison, 
which is a female body. You don't see the head because a face gives too much individuality and psychology. You just see the body, Mm -hmm. so the gendered parts. And then her torso is made up of a house. And so it's almost like this confluence of woman and domestic space. And I think that that is a really symbolic choice because it's associating the body of a woman with the body of a house, that that is where women are allowed to exist. And so bourgeois is identifying that problem and also kind of negating it by exhibiting this work in a professional art space. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, though, don't have the luxury just to create like she did. I mean, she, she owned a flat in Chelsea, and she had workers working for her. And it seemed like she had inherited money from her family, and I could totally be wrong, but it seemed like she did come from wealth. So if every artist had the luxury of just telling their story, which you could argue that they don't because they're just lazy... And she seems like she was a workhorse. She was really, you know, determined to create, 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 much like Warhol, always creating, always creating, like Picasso, always creating, always creating. It's just, she also, though, let's be clear that I I do believe that she came from a wealthy family. She had wealth. She was able to be enabled to create. And that's a very rare position to be in, as an artist specifically, because, you know, not saying that all artists have to be poor we know artists that are you know that are royalty that are creating art uh, balthus was is a really good example of an artist who was who came from an extreme amount of wealth and was able to create and Henri toulouse lautrec as well he he was a an artist who was you know kicked out from his family because of his uh physical condition and lived in the in the brothel underbelly of of paris but she was rare in the respect that I believe she was able to create because she had the finances and the resources to do so, to live out that, what whatever was going on in the psychology of her mind's eye. Well, it's about access. And women sure. at this time, and I think is true today as well, are given a more limited amount of access. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, money and her financial resources provided an opportunity that not every woman has. But I don't I know also- if that's true. I'm... I'm I'm projecting that from what <laughs> I saw in her family and thinking like, oh, well, she wasn't even successful. No one knew her work, yet she was creating all that work and she was already you know, out there in the world and her family was very wealthy. So I'm assuming that. I'm not making an ass out of you and me by doing that. <laughs> no, I think I, you're but, right. No, but I think I am right because I could tell. I'm like, damn, she owned a flat on Chelsea. Damn, she got people working for her. Damn, she's creating art. What a wonderful luxury of life, you know? And she's miserable, too, which is really funny, right? She's got all this money, but she's miserable. She's throwing stuff around. She's stepping on it. See, I don't see that as misery. I see that as a really playful performance because we Mm. see art as just this noble, incredible, untouchable thing. A sculpture is not on the floor. It's on a pedestal. And the fact that she... She throws it down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I never thought of that. That is a breakdown. She's undercutting the power of the fine art space, which is typified as a male space. So for me, I see that as really playful. And my... She seemed so angry when she was doing it, though. I mean, it's, I understand what you're saying, and I find yeah. that interesting. But she's like, I can't believe this. <laughs> she's Go a method now. actor, okay? I guess so. I mean, I'm like, damn, she's so angry. My favorite work of hers is called La Filette, which means little girl in French. 
and it is this plaster and then wrapped in latex, yeah, this laid penis. Yeah. And it's been fish hooked, and so often it hangs from the ceiling rafters. But what's so funny about that is why is this flayed penis, this castrated phallus called little girl? And to me, that just kind of synthesizes everything that she's doing. It's not about one gender. It's not an essentialized female self that feels impenetrable. Huh, that's a funny word, word yeah. choice. But impenetrable. Impenetrable, <laughs> exactly. But it's not something that only women can identify with. She is just mocking and changing this binary sense of what bodies have to be. And I think in that respect, she is really forward thinking. Look, you know, whether you like it or you don't like it, I think that the, especially the spiders are very, you know, those are interactive things that you notice that people just love, you know what I mean? And I have no, I, I am, I am not a personal fan of hers because I am, you know, not as a gatekeeper of what belongs in art history and what doesn't belong, but that's just my opinion. Once again, I, I look at her work, I understand. I understand what you're saying about it. I'm processing. I'll take it in. Perhaps in five years, I'll change my opinion. I'll be like, oh, my God, Louise Bourgeois is the most important artist ever. She's incredible. I mean, she, Rembrandt can't hold a candle to her. She, she, puts, she, puts, uh, <laughs> she puts Lion Decker and Waterhouse to shame. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. But... Uh, look, there's room for everybody. You know what I mean? That's that's really what that says. And I think the other takeaway from this to me is that all the young artists out there or all the older artists out there that have been grinding at this game for a long time, you never know when you're going to hit. You really don't. And you really, whether you have money or you don't have money, I think I think that with her, you see that you got you have to have a stick with it attitude towards art. Because it's hard. It's very easy to get flustered and to get off your game and to quit and to shut it down and to put your paints and, and drawing or your sculpture away and in a closet and just give up. That's really easy. And I think that what she was able to do was to continually express her emotional status, you know, uh, emotional state over and over and over again in a certain therapeutic capacity. And who really does that their entire career if they're not successful? It's very difficult to do that. It is, and I think it's also very courageous to see your art making as a way to experience and re-experience your trauma. And I, I think that must have been really hard to put something that is so deeply personal yeah. in such a public space and to make something that's personal, universal to maybe not to you, but to a lot of other people, that they can tap into some kind of theoretical framework that is not often digested by a female thinker. And I really appreciate her sense of materiality and the fact that the latex almost transforms into flayed skin. There's something that's decaying about her work, and I think that relates back to this concept of the abjection, where we can see something pleasurable in something that's really grotesque. And I appreciate that duality. And then you started out talking about her personality, so I want to circle back to that and encourage that you guys look up a photograph taken by Robert Maplethorpe of Bourgeois cradling filet as if it's a baby. So as a reminder, this is a castrated penis. 
And mm. you could read it as a neck and breasts, but I, I think it's a pretty, pretty overt representation of a phallus. And she's cradling it like it's some newborn child. And she's wearing this beautiful, fuzzy, feathery jacket that's just really exuberant and very whimsical. But the best part of the photograph is her facial expression. Do you know the photograph? Mm-mm. Oh, it's amazing. She just has this wicked, playful grin. And I love that because she knows. I think that she gets all of the ways in which her work resonates, but she also understands the humor and she's having fun, whether she's throwing her work on the ground and kicking it around. I see her art as actually the way that she came to terms with her trauma. Which is really what art is. It's really working. Oftentimes we work through our own stuff through art as a medium. So Look, whether you love her, hate her, feel indifferent, think that she's playful and incredible, think that she's one of the most important female artists ever like Lizzie or more like me where you're looking at it going, "Eh, I don't really get it. Either way, write us a comment on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iTunes, whatever. We do the show because we love you. We love art. We love talking about art. We talk about art all day, all night. That's what we do. And can I just say my hope, and this is always what I hope my students will experience from class two, is not that everybody is going to agree with me. I want my classes, our show, to provide a structural framework from which you can create your own opinion. Absolutely. We just give you ours and then hope to empower you to form your own, Yeah, which look, should our, just be mine. We do this show because we've never <laughs> really found, uh, and mine, more importantly, what we do this show because we, we really love art. We really think art is important and it's transformational. And there was never really a show out there that Lizzie and I loved entirely, or it was uh, a, a British show and we couldn't understand it. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, we really said, hey, let's do this uh, for the love and, and not for the money. And, and, and we are, we're doing it. So do your goddamn part and leave us a, a comment. Five stars only. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs>